there is no time like the 2020s to start a company, to start a startup. You know, with the rise of the internet, you can learn anything at a very low cost, if not for free. You can build anything without needing to know how to code with tools like Bubble and Adalo. And you can get the word out about your products for free by using you know sites like Twitter, Product Hunt, and Reddit. There's no time like the 2020s to build a company. Yet one element of kind of entrepreneurship and company building that hasn't caught up with the times is venture capital. Unless you live you know in San Francisco or New York, chances are you may know what venture capital is, but you may not really know how it works. You may not know who the good VCs are. And you may not know how they think. So with this podcast of Forward Thinking Investors, I want to dive into this world. I want to help anyone in the world understand what is venture capital, who are the great venture capitalists, and how do they think about their day-to-day with the goal to help more people understand how it works so they can go out and raise capital for themselves. And they can build a billion dollar companies just like you know Larry did at Google or Travis did at Uber or Katrina did at Stitch Fix. That can be you, but it just takes some education. And I'm using this podcast as a medium to teach everyone more about venture capital. So if you want to learn about it, you want to dive in, you want to meet some awesome investors, stick around, listen to some episodes, and I, and I hope you enjoy. All right. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Investors. When we talk to investors about whatever is on their mind in the stock market, in markets and startups and whatever else comes up. Today, we're talking to Amy Cheatham, who's a partner at Costa Noah Ventures. Welcome to the show. How's it going? Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to have you on. Looking forward to learning more about all things investing from you. I think for the first question, kind of to give everyone a high level, you can give a little bit of an intro on you know what you're doing today, what 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 is the firm that you work with, and kind of how you got there, a little bit of your path on how you got into where you're at. That would be great to kick us off. Yeah, so Costa Noa is an early stage firm. We focus primarily on seed investing, do some Series A's, but primarily a seed fund. We've been around for ten years focus almost exclusively at this point on B2B investing. So all things B2B software, three main categories are FinTech, Applied AI at SaaS and infrastructure, dabble in crypto, dabble in consumer, but but bread and butter is, is really seed stage B2B software. And I joined the firm about three and a half years ago. I spend the bulk of my time uh, leading our FinTech practice and I think everybody wants to say that they, you know, had a non-traditional path to venture, but I think I had a relatively traditional one. And in all honesty, I grew up in rural Maine and knew nothing about business, but went the investment banking route after college and started my career on Wall Street at JP Morgan. And that exposed me to the world of private equity, of the buy side more generally, and of the the great world of what is venture capital. And through that experience, I found my way to a growth equity firm called Summit Partners and joined as an associate. You know, I think if you look around Silicon Valley, there's lots of GPs across venture firms that have come out of Summit and did my three years there as an associate uh, cold calling CEOs and investing in kind of growth stage companies while I was there. But that really sparked my interest in venture and, and led me to Costa Noa ultimately. Awesome. So a couple of things I wanted to get into there. And uh, um, I'll start with where you started with your career in private equity. I feel like I hear that word a lot. Obviously, it's all in the same world of finance. But I 
it's, it is quite different from venture capital. Can you kind of like outline from your experience, what are the main differences, you know, on your day-to-day from working in like private equity versus working in venture capital? And also, can you just outline for people that may not know, just high level, what are the differences in general between the two types of investing? I would even further complicate things by saying there's probably a third category, which is where Summit fits, which I think is growth equity. So there's private equity where I'd think of, you know, Carlisle, KKR, et cetera. Then there's this middle bucket that I think Summit, TA, TCV, some others kind of fall into. And then there's venture, right? And Summit falls into that middle category. And the the way that I would explain the difference between venture and growth is really that growth is just that, right? Like you are investing when these companies already have pretty meaningful revenue. At Summit, we were mostly investing in businesses that had never raised capital. So most of these companies are bootstrapped, profitable, or or break even at the very least. And Summit's coming in and giving them a capital infusion as they're hitting an inflection point. As you can imagine, you know, the number of bootstrap companies, I think, has decreased over the last 30, 40 years, certainly since Summit was initially started. And so I think that model has changed a little bit where now they're probably investing in more companies that have raised prior capital. But the main difference is really, hey, you're at 10, 20, 30 million of revenue. You've done that with really minimal capital. How can we add fuel to the fire to have that go faster? And the the main difference in the job description, I I think really is that you're just coming in later. So these companies look a lot different. Investing in a seed stage business, the job description of an investor is just really different, both in terms of what you're doing post-investment, but also in terms of how you assess the businesses. Well, I think we'll just, you know, go on from that, you know, assessing businesses. You mentioned when you were, you know, introducing yourself that primarily you like investing in, in B2B, fintech, things like that. But you mentioned that you sometimes dabble in other industries where there might be opportunity. I'm kind of curious, like, how do you decide what industries to dabble in? And when you find an industry that you like, what are the attributes that, you know, in a founder or a founding team that make you want to go, oh, like, this isn't what we usually do, but like, we want to dabble in this because this is really interesting. What, what, what are those attributes there? Probably a few things. The, as a seed investor, for me, one of the most important things is founder market fit. I really, and, and I think maybe this is particularly informed by the categories that I invest in, which one of them is fintech, which is highly regulated, highly complex industry. And it is really hard for founders to innovate, gain rapport, gain customers, gain employees if they don't really understand the industry. So I care a lot about how did you find the problem? What experiences led you to finding the problem? And why are you the right person to solve it? And I think in in other industries, sometimes there's a little more leeway for people outside the industry to come in, create change. I think that's really hard in fintech. It's not to say it doesn't happen, but I think it's hard. So number one in any industry, but t- particularly fintech is founder market fit. And then you know a lot of characteristics around why does this in- industry need to be disrupted? What happened the last time it was disrupted? What do the incumbents look like? What does competition look like? Um, But to answer your question on the, you know, when we kind of color outside the lines a little bit, answer is usually a really compelling founder. When we cross the border and go over into consumer, the answer is always, we found this really, really compelling founder. 
and are building in a really compelling market. It might not quite fit our normal you know, parameters, but we're willing to make an exception because we feel really good about the founder. And we think that our skill set is going to be able to add value because that's the other main thing, right? If we're B2B investors, it can sometimes be hard for us to feel like there's, you know, a, a real rationale for us to do a consumer bet, unless there's something where it feels like maybe there's a B2B to C motion on the go-to-market side that we can help with. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, a lot of founders that I find think of investors as, oh yeah, they spend all their time investing, you know, hundred percent of their time, they're out there cutting checks, you know, looking for new deals, but actually your, your, your role is a lot more, you know, varied than that, right? Can you kind of give the listeners an idea of if you took an average day and I know there's no average day, but if you took the, the most average day that you have, what are you spending your time on as a seed investor? Maybe today is a good example. If I think about what I've done so far and, you know, every day is obviously different, but I would say right now for me, I work with nine companies. So my, my load is, is pretty significant, right? I think most of the five of us at Costa Nova that are partners have around somewhere from seven to 12 or 13 companies that we're working with at any given time. For me, my day today was meeting with potential prospect for a company, a uh, large, large fintech company you guys probably know. Uh, second meeting was a, a current portfolio founder. Then it was a board meeting. And then it was interviewing two product candidates for one of my companies. So today is an interesting day because it's actually mostly board work and mostly company work. So that's not always common, but I would say at least 50% percent of my time is working with my companies right now that ebbs and flows right it, it definitely ebbs and flows based on what's going on in the fundraising environment based on what's going on with my companies but right now for me um yeah i'm pretty heavy in terms of the things i'm, I'm doing for for the companies and spending a lot of time with them i've also done three deals this year so that always changes it too right if i hadn't done any deals i'd probably be spending more time on on net new investments so it varies but it, it's pretty significant chunk of time that you're spending on, on portfolio work. And, you know, outside of that, you know, I think a lot of first time founders, founders coming into this for the first time, like have a lot of like misconceptions in general about what I just asked about, like what do founder or what do investors do, but also a lot of other things. If you knew that, you know, thousands of first time founders were listening to this and who knows, maybe, maybe they are. What, what would you tell them? What are some misconceptions that first-time founders have that if they realize that it didn't work that way, they might be better off after all? Well, I hope lots of first-time founders are listening to this. My, the thing I think I spend the most amount of time trying to help my founders think through is how to utilize their board to their advantage and how to leverage their investors, put them to work for them. The best founders I work with are the ones that show up to our one-on-ones with a list of three things they need from me. And they say, you know, these are the places that can you help with X, Y, Z. Then, so doing that, that's really helpful, right? But two, being really good at learning what to share, when to share it, and how to share it with different investors. I think one of the things that's special about investing at Seed is that often I think I get to have one of the closest relationships with my founders because I've been there from day one. But as these companies grow up, you have to change the way you interact with your board members, what you share, what you don't share, what level of information you give people, 
all those things really matter. And it's actually very hard to learn that skill as a first time founder. And, and, it, and I think it takes time and effort and energy to really learn how to manage your board. And I think a lot of first time founders in particularly, they, they think it's the other way around where they're being managed by their board. But the best founders that I work with are always the ones that are like actively managing that relationship and working on figuring out how to utilize them, how to put them to work, how to get them to stop being distracting in the boardroom if they're being distracting in the boardroom, whatever it is, but really kind of turning that relationship on its head and making sure they're getting what they need. And I think there's a, I think there's such a misconception that, that, you know, founders work for investors and yeah, I guess to some extent they, they do, but I, I don't think that's a healthy way to think about their relationship. Totally. Yeah. That makes total sense. And I completely agree. Changing the topic a little bit. You, you mentioned that one of your main investing areas or uh, one, one of the few is FinTech. You like investing in those kind of companies. Well, over the last, I don't know, three, four years, crypto web three, you know, this, like this kind of evolution of, of FinTech or the, you know, web three, all, all of this kind of came into the world. I'm kind of curious, like, how do you as a investor that has been doing this for a little bit, evaluate new trends that kind of take the world by storm. And how do you know how much to lean into them versus to be a little, you know, standoffish or waiting or, you know, how do you, how do you evaluate new trends? Crypto is an interesting one because I have mostly stayed away from it. So I will caveat by starting with that. We as a firm have a few people on the team that have spent time, done a lot of research and been really thoughtful I think the main answer is we try to deploy like a crawl, walk, run approach and anytime we're going into a new market. And so with crypto, we spent a lot of time doing research back in 2017, didn't jump into much, perhaps wrongly at the time. And then over the last two years, kind of jumped back in and we're trying to be really thoughtful about where to spend our time. And so far, what we've decided is that we like tooling and infrastructure and we're not quite there with going deeper than that, right? We we love things that look a little bit more like fintech infrastructure, but happen to cater to crypto or Web3 companies, but we haven't gone much further than that yet. And I, I think we feel okay with that at the moment, especially given what's what's gone on over the last three months or few months. So I think it is usually, and, and we've done this in a few other areas too, you know, outside of crypto. I've been building out our emerging market fintech practice, and it's it's been that same process of, all right, let's do an investment, dip our toes in the water, learn as much as we can, collect data, and then make a decision, you know, a bunch of small decisions along the way about how many resources, how much time, how much capital to deploy in a, in a given category. But we try to have a pretty methodical approach to dipping our, our toes into new categories. Kind of a related-ish question. If, if you're if you're open to sh- uh, sharing, are there any industries that you're looking at right now that you think are early, like really early, but promising, and you're like thinking about dipping a toe in, but it just seems to be too early? Or I guess in other words, what are things that are on the horizon that you know that have not hit their inflection point, but are kind of peak, you know, picking your interest right now? It's a good question. Th- there are several things. I think in fintech land, I am really interested to see what the next generation of 
banking as a service actually looks like. And my thesis is that I think we see a convergence of banking as a service sponsor banks and fintechs. And that this, you know, we saw column from William, William Hockey and a few other companies that have actually purchased charters. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that. So that's an area where we haven't made an investment you know, I think there's a lot of risk, regulatory risk involved, a lot of risk more just generally involved with that type of a strategy. But I think there's going to be a trend of more kind of tech forward banks that starts to emerge. And I'm excited about it. I think it unlocks a lot of innovation in the banking space, but I have a lot of apprehension around it from a regulatory perspective and just kind of want to observe a little bit, a little bit longer before spending more time there. Cool. And now kind of for my last couple of questions, it's usually around something related to what I spend a lot of my time thinking about, which is, you know, first time founders or second time founders that are great builders that have built products, you know, they have revenue, but they've never fundraised before. And they actually don't know, um, you know, they're good. They're great founders, but they're just missing this like fundraising gene. If you were like talking or if you met a founder that you actually really liked and you thought they were generally impressive, but they just had no idea how to fundraise I guess, I guess a twofold question, like, what do you think as like an investor? And then what would you like tell them to help them become better fundraisers, assuming they want to build a billion dollar company and you think they have the stuff, like, how do you get them to be better fundraisers? Fundraising is really funny because it ultimately is a skill and and it's a skill that I think matters outside of just raising money from investors. Like in my mind, it all dovetails into storytelling. And I actually don't think you can be a good founder unless you're a good storyteller, right? Like you have to sell your employees, you have to sell your customers, and you've ultimately got to sell investors if you choose to go down the path of, of raising venture capital. And so for me, it is absolutely a learned skill, but I think the underlying skill of storytelling is something that you have to have to be a good founder. That said, fundraising is is a is a game and a skill and it is i think challenging for even the the best possible founders and fundraisers my advice is get good advice be vulnerable about the fact that you don't know what you're doing and ask a lot of questions and do that prep up front right you don't want your first meeting with a vc ever to be the first time you're trying to to raise capital and you want to be really thoughtful about building the right pitch and the right story before you go into those meetings. And I was thinking about this earlier this week. I, I've had a bunch of pitches recently where people haven't used decks. And I sort of think about it as like, just, just a, you're sort of setting yourself up to have a really tough conversation if you do that. And so I always really encourage founders to come in prepared, come in with a deck, you want it to be a conversational pitch, but if you come in with no Jack and just a story, I'm just going to ask you questions for 30 minutes, right? And I think sometimes that can put founders on their heels and not put them in a position where they tell the best possible story because they aren't setting themselves up for success. So I think there's a combination of, you know, an inherent skill that people need to have, which is ability to, you know, really pitch a vision and have that passion for what they're building come through, but then there's just really practice, right? Doing practice pitches, putting together a compelling story and, and making sure that you're doing that pitch 25 times before you really talk to the investors you're most excited about. And one way to do that, right? We all probably have long lists of the VCs that folks should talk to and just 
being mindful of the people that you pitch first, second, and third, and, and kind of what those categories are. And if there's one firm that you think you're the most excited about, don't pitch them first, go get practice, go get feedback and incorporate that feedback before you pitch the person that, you know, is, is, is your dream investor. And for my last question, um, if someone's listening to this podcast, you know, and they think your advice is great and they want to learn more about you or connect with you, how can they do that? Do you have Twitter, you know, email, social media, you know, podcast, anything out there that, that founders can, can dive into to learn more about you and connect with you? Yeah, of course. Twitter is probably the easiest. I'm at Amy E. Cheatham and usually relatively responsive to, to DMs and, and messages on Twitter. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for having me.